Hey, I'm Matt. If you don't know me, very warm welcome to you. Uh, before we get started uh, looking at the Bible together, I just wanted to say a massive thank you uh, to Elizabeth and the team that helped. Well, I, I, I walked into our, our offices and where the, the kids go out this morning, I thought, there's a funny smell around here today. That's the, the smell of cleanliness. So thank you so much. There's about 20 people, I think, that spent most of yesterday cleaning and scrubbing stairs and drilling holes in walls um, to put things in, not just to drill holes. Uh, so thank you so much for all your hard work. Uh, if you see Elizabeth Bass, uh, who organized it all, then give her a particularly warm welcome, because she did an, an amazing job. Okay, if you want to find the book of Exodus in your Bible, if you have one with you, if you don't, don't worry, the words will appear as if by magic on a screen behind me in a moment or so. Uh, Exodus is the second book in your Bible, so if you just go to the front and work your way in, and then if you get to chapter 20, we are, uh, we are spending a little bit of time working through uh, what is uh, known as the Ten Commandments. Uh, in the Bible. And what the Ten Commandments do is they give us um, a bit of a guide to the, to the good life, uh, a life of how God has planned for us to really enjoy him and each other and to get the best out of life. And the wonderful thing about, us, it, about these commands is it's not really about us just being kind of better citizens, but it's really about us getting to know who Jesus is and that we're made in his image. That's what the Bible teaches. We're made in the image of God, every single one of us. And we're not only made in his image, but we're made to reflect his image to the world around us. And these commands give us a bit of a guide on how to do that, on what that's, what that's going to look like. Um, and particularly in this command that we're going to look at today, what we get is a bit of a picture of God's heart for, for justice, for justice amongst people, that God cares richly and deeply about, about us, about you. He cares about how we treat each other, uh, how we treat each other's bodies, how we treat each other's properties, uh, what we own. Um, and today we're going to look at, I guess, the best way to describe it is how we treat each other's reputation, our, the character of each other, how we treat each other. Um, so, if the guys at the back, if you could just put the words up behind me, um, there we go. This is verses 1 and 2 of Exodus 20, which gives us an introduction into these commandments. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord you, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And on to the next one. This is verse 16, which we're looking at today. It says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you so much uh, for the Bible, which is uh, your word to us. Uh, and we want to love this word. We want to love this truth, this everlasting, eternal truth written to strengthen us, to do us good, to show us what life can look like, but more than anything else, to point our hearts to you. All of this book is just this one big story drawing our hearts back to you, Jesus, reminding us about who you are and what you've done for us, how you've caught us up in your wonderful salvation story, 
And we pray, we ask Holy Spirit that you'd be at work this morning to open our, our eyes to see who you are, open our hearts to help us to follow you and to live for you. Amen. Amen. My dad um, has a saying that he often uses, which is, he says, never let the truth get in the way of a good story, which uh, that's not my philosophy when it comes to preaching, just to, just to reassure you. But uh, he's a bit of a storyteller. He likes to tell a good yarn, a good story. So he says, never let the truth get in the way of a good story, which um, he likes to say a lot. <laughs> I guess what we're looking at today really is how we should never let a story, whether it's a good or bad story, get in the way of the truth. That's kind of what this verse is about. We want to be people that love the truth about one another and speak it with kindness and gentleness, but we want to have a love for the, for the truth. And that's what the, the heart of this commandment is about. It's about not trying to deceive or to lie or to slander or gossip, but actually to use our words to defend and protect and build people up helping them to, to, to follow God more than anything else. We want to love the truth. And you find in, this, in the, the third commandment, which we looked at, uh, I think just after Christmas, it says this, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And that commandment is very much about how we treat God's name, how we speak about God, having a heart of reverence to him. It's about our kind of vertical relationship with God. Whereas this command today is about our kind of um, horizontal relationships with one another. And that's the beautiful thing about the Bible. It doesn't just speak about us and God. It speaks about us and each other, how we should love and respect one another. And in particular, we want to love the truth in the place it counts the most. It says in Proverbs, a faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness breathes out lies. This verse, in some ways, um, one of the main applications is about speaking the truth in the context of a, a dispute, like in, in a court case, being, being a witness you know, if someone comes into the court and has to go and stand in the dock and an accusation is made against him, they may bring in witnesses um, either to, to help his case or the case of the defense, but to help the court, whether it's the judge or the jury, to decide. And that's kind of partly what this verse is about. That in that context, um, which if you think about it in a court, there's few places that the truth matters more than in a court. Because there are consequences. If you go and you're a witness and you lie about somebody, that could, that could change their life. They could end up in jail. It could damage their reputation, their character, their standing for the rest of their lives. It matters there. And particularly when, when these words were written, it, it mattered an awful lot because there weren't any forensics. <laughs> There weren't any kind of cameras, there wasn't any dash cam footage to try and figure out who was telling the truth. It was just one person's word against another. So it's important to be a faithful witness rather than a false witness. 
I was on jury duty in England for a few weeks, a few weeks, uh, it's been maybe 10 years ago now, uh, and we sat through various court cases, and one was a case of three motorbike riders who'd been caught speeding, and they were trying to argue their defense, but then the police just brought out this video footage they had of the policeman in his car following them, you know, with the clock down the corner, like on those TV shows, saying how quick they were going, and their case kind of fell apart at that point, because... You know, it was there, the footage, they were going very, very quickly. And they were trying to argue that they weren't actually going that quick. But when you've got it on camera, it kind of, kind of ruined their argument a little bit. But when this was written, obviously that wasn't the case. It was about their word against someone else's. But actually, in many ways, this commandment matters now as much as it ever has done. Uh, in a time where people talk about, you know, fake news and alternative truth. It matters that we tell the truth about one another. It matters that we're good witnesses about one another. Because although many of us, um, most of us probably won't end up in, in courts, I would imagine. Maybe you have, but most of us here probably aren't going to be in the dock. Or even, most of us probably won't even be a, a witness in a court case. But there's other ways that we put people on trial. Lots of different ways. There's trial by, by social media. <laughs> trial by just gossip. All the time we put people on trial, often when they're not there. We can share opinions about somebody with other people. And it's very easy just to become a bit of a false witness. Just to protect yourself, to, to lie and defame and ruin someone else's character, someone else's someone else's reputation. So let's look at a few ways that we can be false witnesses. Number one, by, uh, I guess, reckless words. Again, in the Proverbs, it says, whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And often we can be a false witness by just, I guess, being a bit rash, a bit reckless with the words that we, we use. It says here they're like a sword thrust, jabbing a knife into somebody. That's what can happen if we don't use our words wisely, because words have power. A power either to build people up as it says here, our words, the tongue of the wise brings healing. Your words can help heal people, to fix people, to restore people. Or we can use our words to deconstruct, to harm people. It says in, in James, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. That's quite straight words there, isn't it? 
But the point it's trying to make is that how we speak has great power. It can start a forest fire in people's lives. What you say can build people up, can restore people, can encourage people, can give them faith. Or it can bring destruction and pain. And sometimes, sometimes just because we say things without really thinking, just reckless words, rash words that come out. And often, I don't know about you, often I've, I've gone away and I thought maybe, you know, a few moments, a few days, a few weeks, sometimes even a few years later, have you ever had that thought where you think, oh, I wish I hadn't said that? You ever felt like that? Oh, I wish I hadn't said that. But normally I think that when I think, ah, oh, I've actually, I've hurt my own reputation. That's, that's when I think that really, if I'm honest. I wish I hadn't said that because that made me look bad. You know, I wish I'd said something else to protect myself. It's not often that I think, oh, I wish I hadn't said that because my words were, were harmful to somebody. They hurt somebody. And if we're not careful, that can happen. The next way we can be a false witness is by grumbling. Uh-oh. <laughs> no one here ever grumbles. It says in Philippians, I put this in bold just to make the point, do all things without grumbling or disputing. All things. Uh, this week, Rich and I, we went away to England for a few days to be with some other church leaders to pray together. We had an early flight on the Tuesday morning, and I arrived at the airport, and I was tired, and I was grumpy, and I wanted coffee, and there was just Starbucks, and their coffee doesn't taste like coffee, and I, I was grumbling about it. Whereas Rich, Rich, if you know him, he's a morning person, right? So he was just full of beads. He was really excited about the journey ahead. And I was, I was grumpy. I wasn't a very good travel companion. And I read these words as I was preparing this week and thought, did I do that without grumbling or disputing? Probably not. But it speaks right into our hearts, doesn't it? It's very difficult to live a life where you don't grumble or don't complain. But it's the kind of life I want to live um, you know, I want that to be, maybe I might not be able to say, oh, I've, I've never grumbled, but I, I want the story, the tone of my life to not be one of moaning and grumbling, but actually one of joy. <laughs> That's the overall tone, story of my life is not just moaning about things, but finding joy in things. Because the problem is grumbling and complaining, you know, grumbling about coffee was just, you know, rich was mature enough just to ignore me. But if you're not careful, if you've noticed what, what grumbling does, is it leads to other people grumbling. It's, it's infectious. Particularly in, in like a community or in your workplace, you often find, I found it in places that I've worked, there'll be someone who grumbles a lot. And they can actually, they can set the tone for the whole office. If you've got one person that that's what they do, they moan, is that actually that it, it affects everybody around them. It either leads to everybody else moaning, or it just leads to everyone else feeling a bit, ugh, ugh, is this what we do? We just come to our, our work and we just, you know, we just grumble and moan and complain. It's an infectious thing. So if we're not careful, if we don't use our words carefully, we can just infect other people with our grumbling. 
The next way to be a false witness, I guess, is falsehood, um, which is, I guess, lying. But there are lots of different ways of lying, of misrepresenting the truth. <clears throat> so first of all, exaggeration. I've never done this. You see, no, I did there. Exaggeration. Now, exaggeration can seem harmless. You know, as my dad would say, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. It's just exaggeration often makes things seem a bit brighter, a bit more exciting. But often we use exaggeration to strengthen a weak position. Have you noticed that? We exaggerate things to, to make stronger an argument that we have that, that isn't very strong. You, you'll see, it will, it will happen all the time. It would be, uh, for instance, in, in your workplace, uh, someone might go to their boss uh, to argue about something and will say, lots of people think that we should do this. Whereas actually the reality is that lots of people is them and maybe one other person. But they know if they just say, oh, me and my mate Jimmy think we should change this policy, their boss isn't going to listen to them because it's just two people. So they say, lots of people think. Maybe you've done that. You exaggerate to try and win your argument, to strengthen your position. And something we can do, do all the time if we're not careful. The next one we can, another, way, another form of falsehood is flattery. You know, buttering someone up to get your own way. Just dropping in a few things that aren't really true to kind of warm them up a little bit so you can convince them of something. Um, it's, just, it's just lying, really, isn't it? Now, what I don't want to do is give you permission just to start being rude to one another because I'm just telling the truth now. You know, it just wouldn't really be the best thing to do. From time to time, I get the privilege to conduct wedding ceremonies and I'll often give a little talk, uh, and there's, in that talk, there's, I like to use there's some advice that children give about how to build a loving relationship. And one of them is this little boy who says, tell her she looks pretty, even if she looks like a truck. You know? <laughs> now, I don't want to give you the, uh, just uh, an excuse just to go and say what you want about people. We should tell the truth with, with love. But just flattery when we're just trying to, again, just win an argument, when we're just trying to convince people of something, um, isn't the best way to do things. The next one, just, just half-truths, you know? When, when you tell something that's true, but it's just part of the full story. So if one of our kids comes to me or Joe and says, you know, they're upset because their sister punched them, now, I know straight away that's a half-truth. That's probably true. Your sister probably did punch you. But there's something you're not telling me here, that perhaps maybe you punched her first, right? Or you said something to her that caused her to do it. It's just, it's just a half-truth. One of the things I've learned about kids, and it's not much of a surprise that children lie. What I found really surprising was how bad they were at lying. You know? Sometimes you think, oh, you just suck at lying. Just... Just let me give you a few lessons about how to do this properly. <laughs> but often we can just, again, tell just part of a story. <laughs> again, just to try and win an argument or to defend ourselves, to protect our own reputation. Just half the truth. Another way we can be a false witness is by 
gossip. Like gossip says in uh, Proverbs, for lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, or other translations where there is no gossip, quarreling ceases. So that fire that, as James said, our tongues can start that fire, we, we can put it out by just not letting that fire go any further, by not being a whisperer, not being a gossip. You know, someone can say something negative about someone else, and you can draw a line under it right then. Not even, you don't even necessarily have to rebuke them, you can just say nothing. And rather than engaging in gossip, you can just, you can just stop it, you can put it to bed, you can just kill it off in that, in that moment. It says in 2 Timothy, avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. That's what gossip does. It's not just, gossip isn't just about you being ungodly, you lead other people into ungodliness. And it spreads like gangrene, it's an infection that from the inside out will corrupt you. If you live a lifestyle of just gossiping about people, you would just like to share that juicy bit of information. You always like to be the first person that knows, the first person that tells. If you're not careful, that will be a, a horrible infection that will cause you, cause you harm. And often, gossip is just, it's just slander. <laughs> In our court of conversation, we condemn people, we judge people, we slander people. That's what gossip is. We're just slandering people. Now, an important question is to ask, well, what if you've been slandered? Because not only do we, can we gossip, can we be false witnesses against other people, we'll often find situations in our lives where we'll be at the, on the receiving end, or we'll receive... Uh, uh, things where we're wrongly accused of something, where we, people gossip about us. So how do we deal with that? First of all, to figure out and discern what are they actually, what are they saying? What are they saying? Because it, in our culture today, um, there's a bit of an issue of, of victimhood. You know, to win an argument, you just have to be the victim, and then you win. That, that's where people run to all the time. They just play the victim card. Well, you can't say that because you're making me a victim. And now you've made me a victim, I, I win. You're, you're wrong and I'm, I'm right because you're making me feel bad. But sometimes, and we've got to be careful because often, just because it's an unpopular opinion, it doesn't mean it's wrong. All the time you see people getting upset about things that are said and you think, well, you can get upset about it, but it doesn't make it not true. And that's often what happens around us because people people just call themselves as victims, that things that are actually true get knocked away and battered away by just people playing the victim card all the time. You're making me feel bad, so therefore you're wrong. Well, they might be making you feel bad, but doesn't mean they're not right. Now, obviously, as I keep, want to keep emphasizing, it's important that we speak the truth in love to one another, but maybe the first question to ask is, do I actually need to be offended by this? <laughs> That's the important thing to ask yourself. Because so often we can just, we're, we're in a culture that loves to be offended. So maybe sometimes you need to ask, do I, is that really worth getting upset about? And often the answer is probably no, and we can just, we can just move on. 
next thing to, to ask is to figure out actually, actually what hurts. What, what hurts? Because often I found it's not the untrue things that people say that, that hurt. Because you think, well, that's just not true. You know, sometimes they can be very painful, but often they're quite easy to ignore. What can often hurt is when people say things and you think, oh, that's, that, that's actually true. <laughs> or that's, that's very close to the truth. And that can, be, that can be painful sometimes to hear things about us that we think, oh, goodness. When someone says something that confirms your worst suspicions about yourself, like a very, very painful moment. When someone says something, you think, oh, yeah, no, they're right, but I didn't want to hear that. I didn't, I didn't want to know that. And it's important that as a church community, we do want to tell the truth to each other. Because I keep emphasizing, we, we speak the truth in, in love. It means we say it to, to build people up, to do people good. Sometimes it means we have to say things to people that are a bit painful. But our goal is always that we help them to see more of Jesus that we help them to grow and to flourish, that our criticism should, should be constructive, should try and build something, not destroy, but to build people up, encourage people. Because we can't ignore this fact that, that words have power. We can get tricked into thinking that words are just descriptive, that we use words just to describe things. But actually, words can be formative, Words create things. That's how the world started. That's what the Bible says, that God spoke. Words have this creative power to them. So you have to be careful in how we use them. And I want to use my words to create good things in other people, not to bring things down, not to destroy things. Because the reality is, you might even have things that have been said to you that you can hold on to for, for years for years. Maybe even just one word, a sentence that somebody said that you can't get out of your head. It's because it the words have power to shape you for good or for bad. So we've got to, it's worth asking, well, what actually, what, what hurts? And then f to realize that we each have two forms of defense. There's two ways that you can respond. When someone says something bad about you, when someone is a false witness against you, when someone gossips, you have two forms of defense. First of all, is your justification, right? I'm very good at this. I have a very, very, very talented inner lawyer, right? Who comes out and he argues my defense. He's very skilled trying to protect me and my reputation. Whenever anybody says something wrong about me, he's just ready to, I'm just going to, yes, burst into the courtroom and tell them the truth. That's, on, that's our first form of defense that we spring to, is we want to defend ourselves, we want to justify ourselves, prove ourselves to be right. It doesn't really work very well, I've noticed. And we have another form of defense, which is Christ's justification. It's really important you see the difference between the two there, because we'll, we'll, 
unless you're different from me, and I imagine most of you are probably quite similar to me, when we're under accusation, when we're being accused, when we're being gossiped against, whatever it is, what we want to do is we want to defend ourselves. You don't know. Let me tell you this. There's actually a better way to respond is to remind ourselves of, for those of us who are believers in Jesus, of Christ's justification. That's just the most important thing to cling to. That what that person says about you compared to what Jesus says about you, there's no argument. But that's always the most important thing. And if, if, if that's where you run to and you say, oh, you know, that was horrible what they said, but wow, I've got a Father in heaven that, that loves me. Goodness, that will protect your heart. That will protect you when we run to him, to his justification, to what he says about you. Because before God, where it matters most now because of the work of Jesus, your reputation is untarnished. (laughs) Because of what Jesus has done for you, the Father looks at us and he sees the righteousness of Jesus on us. So he doesn't look at you and, and, and say, come prove yourself, defend yourself, prove yourself to be worthy. He looks at us and he loves us in the same way the father looks on his son and loves his son. He looks on us and loves us. We don't need any other justification when you have that kind of justification. Because we must always remind ourselves of What's actually true? That's the real thing. What's actually true? What's, what's everlastingly true about you? And first of all, we all know that we need a savior. That's true. But we also know that we have a savior who loves us more than anything else. What wonderful truth to stand upon. We love beyond measure. And what we find remarkable is that it's actually that Jesus, he was taken to trial. It says in Matthew 26, this is just before Jesus died. The chief priests and the whole council, they put Jesus on trial. And they were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none. Then many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward. <laughs> so even against Jesus, they found they were trying to find some, some testimony against him. They couldn't find any. They found two false witnesses to come and stand against him just to make up some lies about Jesus so they could put him to death. You know, if you've ever had false testimony, false witness against you, it's not led to this point. This false witness means that you're going to die. That's what Jesus did for us, that We might feel the pain of things said against us, but he knows that pain. He's he's been there. He's had people, in in a courtroom, he's had people lie about him and his character. Think about that. All the horrible things that people have said about you that are completely untrue. They found two people to lie about him so they could kill him. And this is the God that 
It says in, in Titus, God who never lies. <laughs> so they lied about the one who never lies. Jesus lived this perfect, spotless, righteous life. Yeah, they just found two people who just could spew some horrid lies about him. And his response, well, says in Isaiah, and they made his grave with the wicked, with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. It goes on to say in that passage in Matthew that Jesus' response to those two false witnesses was silence. <laughs> he didn't try and defend himself. There was no deceit in his mouth. He didn't try and prove himself. He didn't try and spin some exaggerations or some flattery. He just didn't say anything. He was silent. For us. It says in Romans, Romans 3, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But we're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus took those accusations so that he could die for us, so we could have this wonderful redemption. The same way that these Israelites were rescued out of slavery into Egypt, called out into his purposes, into the promised land. We've been redeemed and rescued from all the lies told against us, all the lies that we've told. He's rescued us and he's justified us. Let me just read a verse that springs to mind. It's not on the screen. It says in Romans 8, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Ask a question. Who's going to charge you of something? And it says, God is the one who justifies. <laughs> now because of our standing in him, people can throw charges against you, accusations, gossip, but we know it's, it's him who justifies us. Let me pray. Jesus, we just, we thank you for this phenomenal grace that um, all of us know moments of grumbling and complaining where we just, the bitterness of our heart just comes out of our mouths. When we've used words to harm people and to hurt people, when words have been used against us, where false witnesses have gossiped about us, told lies to ruin our reputation, to belittle us, and it hurts, but yet we know that we, although we might try and justify ourselves, the true justification we find is in you, that you love us. That what's much more important is not what other people say about us, but what you say about us. Who's going to bring a charge against us now? You don't charge us of anything. You justify us. You love us richly. We thank you, Jesus, just for your tender love and kindness towards us. And pray, Holy Spirit, that we would...
go from here and not just try and try a bit harder, but know you with us. That you're our defense, but you're also our strength. That you give us even sometimes the words to speak when we don't know what to say. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you be with us, helping us to become more like you, helping us to know more of your wonderful grace and mercy that we find in you. Amen.